last week on the Joes on the Pros podcast. I just don't know if this San Francisco team is for real. Now, obviously, like, we have to give them their props. They're 4-0. Like, they have won the games they needed to. You can only play the games that you have on your schedule. I think the Los Angeles Rams are the second-best team in the NFC right now simply because I know Sean McVay is going to make adjustments. I've spoken highly of the Packers these last two episodes on our podcast because I love what Matt LaFleur has done with that team so far. The secondary there in Houston and the offensive line are really going to have to have one of their best games in order to show me that they can compete in the AFC with teams like Kansas City or New England. You are now tuning in to the Joes on the Pros podcast with your host, Junie Riddle and Casey Warner, covering all the latest topics in today's sports. Welcome, everyone. To the sixth episode of the Joes on the Pros podcast. We're glad to be back here for the sixth episode. And we got some good stuff on tap for you today. We'll start with the Lions and the Packers in that Monday night football matchup last night. Now, there were some controversial officiating in that game right there. Some happening late in the game. Some calls that the NFL even came out today and said were wrong, being honest with themselves there. And we need to talk about that. Junie, what did you think about those calls in that game? The calls were bad, Casey. I mean, the NFL even came out and said that the calls were bad. But I got to tell you what, calls shouldn't affect games. You, should, you of all people should know that. I mean, you're the biggest Rams fan in the world, and you try and tell me that the Saints wouldn't have won if you know they had called that pass interference call. You try to make that argument, but then you want to come over here and you want to make the argument that you know the Lions got screwed over because of these Trey Flowers calls. I think that's bogus. I mean, if you look at the game the entire game and you look at some of the breaks that Green Bay had I mean it goes back and forth like there's bad calls all the time I've heard you say that yourself but to sit here and say that that controlled the game I mean yeah sure it it really helped the Packers you know seal the win and and run the time off but they still had the ball in uh, the Lions territory ready to score with around less than a minute to go that only really solidified the game I mean but I mean really entirely it the game was pretty much already won in my opinion well, here's the thing I got on these calls. The difference in a call like, per se, in the Rams-Saints NFC Championship last year and these calls in this game are there were two calls of the same penalty in the same quarter that were clearly wrong, clearly wrong. I mean, Trey Flowers had his hands on the offensive tackle's shoulder, clearly on his shoulder, nowhere near the face mask, not even on the helmet, and they called it twice. I mean, Twice on the same time on the same player. Well, I'm just saying that if you look by the appearance of what happened in the play, he was pushing up in the shoulder pad, and it looked like he was elevating with the offensive lineman's head pushing upward, which made it seem like he was appearing to put his hands in his face, which, I mean, as a ref, you're trying to make the call during the game. It's live action. You know, it's not slow motion like we can see in the replays. I can see where they can kind of make that mistake. Yeah, it's a bad call, but bad calls happen all the time. It's the NFL. But if we're going to talk about this and bad breaks, I mean, look at the Packers man I mean Darius Shepard with that drop pass and that interception that went right into the Lions defender's hand uh, in the red zone and then you also look at Darius Shepard again with that fumbled punt and then gave the ball right back to the Lions and then a bunch of drop passes all over the place for the Packers all those Packers receivers were dropping passes all night and even uh, Jimmy Graham dropped one in the end zone that would have been a touchdown there was a lot of things that didn't go into the Packers way and it, we just can't say that that's uh, the one thing that defined this game there was plenty of times that the Packers defense held 
held the Lions uh, to three points when they were looked like that they were on the verge of scoring. I mean, there are times and places where this Lions team could have taken advantage of the Packers in, you know, in the beginning of the game, and they didn't. They simply didn't take advantage of what the Packers gave them early in the game when they could have put that game away a long time ago. Now, aside from the officiating, let's get into the Packers a little bit. The Packers looked pretty good late in that game. Aaron Rodgers looked pretty good. Two drives with points in the fourth quarter. On the other end, the Lions had no points in the fourth quarter. Can't have a win with that. Rodgers was 24 of 39, 283 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. Not a stellar game from him, but like I said, in the fourth quarter, he looked very good in that game. Drove them down twice in the fourth quarter, put points on the board, and they end up with the win in that one. Well, I mean, if like I said, when you look at Rodgers' game, I mean, he had a great game. The interception was not his fault. Like I said, it was tipped off um, uh, Shepard's face mask and bounced right into the receiver's hand. And like I said, I don't know how many drop passes they had, but it was at least like six or seven. So, I mean, his completion rate would have been out the roof last night if, if they would have caught those balls. And then if you look at Jamal Williams returning after getting that concussion against the Eagles a couple weeks ago, I mean, he balled out. I mean, he had 104 yards, and you look at the Lions, and they they didn't really rush that well. Green Bay really kind of had a very balanced offense uh, last night on Monday, and it, I mean, it really showed. Like, they they won the game for a reason. Yeah, there's bad there's bad situational, um, you know, things on both sides, but like I said, Green Bay came out with the win. I personally think they're the better team, and even though they had a little bit of a slow start, uh, when it comes down to the clutch, I would rather have Aaron Rodgers than Matthew Stafford, and that's that. I'm definitely agreeing with you on that. I know that Green Bay is the better team. I had them as my top NFC team in the league last week on our episode there. Now, let's get into this a little bit. This is a different angle on the officiating that I want to get your take on. Uh, There has been people say, you know, come out that have said officials should be fined just like players are fined for, you know, illegal hits, uh, breaking the rules. Do you think officials should be fined for bad calls? No, I don't think officials should be fined for bad calls. I mean, it's like, it, it, it's their job, Casey. I mean, have you ever gone to work and made a mistake? Like, everybody makes mistakes. Like, it's live action. You have thousands of people watching you in-house. You have millions of people watching at home. And, I mean, it's it's only humanity, man. You can't find somebody for humanity. Now, with the players, like, yeah, like, there's a lot of times that they can control that and they can, they can ease up and not hit players in the head or, or do these reckless plays that can cause injuries. No, I definitely don't think the officials should be fine for this. Now, I did hear something from Colin Cowherd on the herd today that I want your feedback on, and that is he said, take out all this review stuff. Take out pass interference reviews, and he says, let the officials review things in the last two minutes of each game and let them be in control of that. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think, you know, take all that aside, give the coaches their two challenges throughout the game, but when it comes to the last two minutes, if there's a bad call, let the officials be able to review anything. I agree with that. You have to be able to come to an ultimate conclusion. That's kind of what I'm noticing this year. You know, with this pass interference call, we've seen that a lot of those aren't getting overturned, and a lot of those are kind of just bogus challenges, people trying to get flags when there really shouldn't be. you got to come to an ultimate conclusion. I think that's kind of the issue the NFL is having with this officiating right now is there's really no ultimate answer to some of these calls. And I think that idea right there is a great way to work towards that and how we could get to an ultimate answer with some of these calls. Now, moving on to another game that was very interesting in part this week in the NFL was the 49ers and the Rams. The 49ers just completely dominated my LA Rams out there on Sunday. A very tough game to watch for me as a Rams fan. And the 49ers 
were just dominant on all aspects of the ball. Defense, offense, you name it. Junie, what do you got about the Niners? Are they really for real now? They have to be, right? I mean, I definitely am now taking the Niners. I told you last week that if they got this win in L.A. against the Rams, that they would now be on my list as a contender in the NFC, and they definitely showed it, and it really has to do with that defense. Um, I've heard this mentioned before, you know, growing up playing Pop Warner football, was that, you know, the best pass coverage is a good pass rush, and these guys easily have the best defensive line in football with Nick Bosa, that rookie out of Ohio say he's absolutely been balling out and then you also got that trade from the Kansas City Chiefs where you get D Ford and it just seems like they are scaring these offensive lines in the NFC man they are literally dominating the line of scrimmage and it really they really just dictate the game like that Jared Goff had probably the worst game out of any quarterback this entire season I mean 78 yards total is absolutely ridiculous and barely throwing over uh, 50 percent is also ridiculous Jared Goff is a lot better of a quarterback than that, in my opinion. I mean, we had this discussion about a couple weeks ago. If he was top ten, it's very apparent that he's not top ten anymore. And I know you agree. It. I know that you agree with that now, and it it sucks to say, but yeah, seriously, this 49ers defense is definitely for real. When you get a running game with Coleman and Brita, and you can control the ball and you dominate the time of possession, I believe it was like 38 to 22 minutes. Yes, this 49ers offense plays a old school style ground and pound offense and defense, and that's and they're winning games like that. The 49ers had four quarterback sacks on Jared Goff. Jared Goff just looked clueless out there, like you mentioned. 49ers dominated the time of possession, 39 to 21 minutes. That's just complete domination. And watching that whole game as a Rams fan, I just couldn't help but think the tides have turned in the NFC West. You know, the 49ers moved to 5-0 and now. Seattle got another big win. They're 5-1. and I mean, right now, the Niners and the Seahawks are just completely dominating that division, looking like no hope for the Rams right now. Now, they did, I'll just mention, just because we just saw it, they did just trade for Jalen Ramsey. That's a huge breaking news right there. Literally just minutes ago, we found out that happened. So maybe the Rams can build on that a little bit. But the 49ers, I'm agreeing with you, man. They're top notch. They are a class team in the NFC. And I know last week I said that the Packers and the Rams were the two best teams in the NFC. Wipe that away, man. Rams aren't even in that conversation anymore. It's the 49ers and the Packers conference to lose right now in the NFC. Now, let's get into this a little bit. The Rams really struggled in that game. They lose their third straight. You know, where do they go from here, man? What what kind of issues do they have to solve to get back on track? I mean, easily we got to look at, you know, Jalen Ramsey coming in, and that is obviously a huge upgrade from Peters, who they traded to Baltimore earlier today. But there's another thing, too, and it's Jared Goff has got to start throwing the ball downfield, and they need to start establishing the running game a little bit more. I mean, Malcolm Brown was their leading rusher, and he only had 40 yards and 11 carries. Like, you're not going to win football games like that. And I know that they weren't down majority of the game because, I mean, it was tied seven to seven at halftime. I mean, you gotta be able to run the ball. Um, they on the first drive, they really, really established a run, but after that, they just could not get it going at all. And then you're looking at Jared Goff's decisions, and it's really just kind of like a, a dink and dunk. It's there's no big plays. Um, you see a lot of wide receiver motions and like faking out the jet sweep or the or the dive up the middle. Like it's a lot of the same kind of things. And and like we've been hearing, um, it seems that Sean McVay's offense is kind of getting figured out a little bit here and they need to start making some adjustments and Gurley needs to get back here and start playing like Todd Gurley or I just don't see this Rams team going anywhere because if they cannot get back on track and not getting back to what they're doing then they're not going anywhere like golf's at his best when he has that play action with 100% Gurley and that's what makes this offense flow 
more than anything, what I noticed from this Rams offense is they have no offensive line. There's no blocking. Goff has no time, and when he does have time, he's holding it too long. It's just a complete disaster on all parts of the offense right now for the Rams. They have to get that together. They also just traded for a second-round offensive lineman from the Browns today. They hope that will benefit them in the depth area a little bit more on the offensive line. But we mentioned the 49ers and their offense a little bit. And I want to get into this. I've heard a couple people say that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo really hasn't even played his best football so far this year, and the 49ers are still 5-0. and So, you know, what do you think about Jimmy Garoppolo? And do you think if he can even improve, this might be the best team in the league? What do you think about that? I mean, I agree with you. I mean, they have a great running game, and they have a great tight end in George Kittle. I think George Kittle is actually the best tight end in football right now, if you ask me. I mean, you look at some of the highlights that he had against the Rams. He was looking like Rob Gronkowski, you know, five years ago. And so when you have a guy like that, uh, it definitely helps you out with that offense in a running game with that play action. But, you know, Garoppolo – even though he hasn't put up the most amazing stats, he's been very consistent. And I mean, when you have somebody that's consistent and you have somebody that can make those big third down plays, stand in the pocket and uh, make those dink and dunk plays, like he's he's really honestly looking like a young Brady right now. Like, even though, like I said, his stats aren't looking that great, you know, he's still getting the job done and he's not putting up bad numbers. He's not putting up great numbers, but he's doing what they need to do to win. And it just seems like this entire 49ers team is really kind of buying into that in order to be successful. 49ers are running the NFC West right now. They have complete control of that division at 5-0. and Rams sit in third place at 3-3. Three and three. Seahawks in second place at 5-1. and one. Now, we're going to get into a division next that is certainly not like that at all. Two 3-3 three and three teams are at the top of the division, and we'll get into the NFC East when we get back. You take it on the This past Sunday, the two leaders in the NFC East took really bad L's this week with the Cowboys losing to the New York Jets 24-22 to after trying to make a comeback and get back into that game. And then we also see a Philadelphia Eagles team that we thought has been super talented but obviously been very, very, very inconsistent. Lose in Minnesota 38-20. to Casey, I got to tell you, these two teams match up this week, and I think it's probably going to be the game of the week to decide who's going to be the leader of the NFC East. Casey, I got to ask you, what did you see from these games and what do you expect next week when these two teams face off? Well, I actually watched most of the Eagles-Vikings game due to the fact that my stepmother back at home is a huge Vikings fan, so I was able to observe that game and take away a lot from that in result. And what I saw from the Eagles is they're just not capitalizing on their opportunities, man. Interesting stat here. Philadelphia not only had three turnovers in that game, but they only made it to the red zone one time. I mean, if you're only going to make it to the red zone one time, your offense can't be productive because you don't have chances to score. So, I mean, Philadelphia's offense, while, you know, they showed some some good things in that game, you got to make it to the red zone more, got to capitalize on your opportunities. All the credit in the world to Minnesota. Eagles allowed 447 yards total offense, and Kirk Cousins went 333 yards and four touchdowns. Excellent game from Kirk Cousins, probably his best game of the year, and the Eagles did not look good defensively in that game at all. Now, the Cowboys, on the other hand, 
The Cowboys allowed Sam DeArnold 338 yards and two touchdowns. So their defense really isn't looking too good at all either. And I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, look at their red zone efficiency. They were two of four in the red zone. So the common thing I see with these two teams is defense and opportunities that they're not capitalizing on. Well, I definitely see defense with the Eagles because we've been talking about how abysmal that secondary is all year. And before we just heard that Jalen Ramsey got traded to your Los Angeles Rams, the Eagles were one of the teams that I thought that were going to be in contention to get Ramsey this season. But obviously, that is not going to happen, and they are probably going to continue to struggle with that secondary for the remainder of the season. I mean, this man, Stephon Diggs, had himself a game against that Philadelphia secondary. He had seven receptions for a 167 yards and three touchdowns, and he made that cornerback, Rasul Douglas, look absolutely terrible, just putting him on the burners, absolutely torching him whenever he possibly could, and he had a game like no other as a receiver this season. It was awesome to watch. And then you look at Kirk Cousins. I mean, after getting called out by Adam Thielen two weeks ago, this man has been absolutely balling out, getting 300 yards in the last two games, and he really looks like he's a totally new quarterback rather than what we've seen through the first four weeks of the season. But then we get to the Cowboys here, and I mean, I was stunned by how Sam Darnold looked against the Dallas Cowboys defense after coming back from a month, you know, recovering from mono. I mean, when you have mono, like you're really, really tired and you're really drowsy. So the fact that he could come back, play against what we think is a good team in Dallas that and just dominate them like that in the first half. I mean, he was just slinging that ball all over the place to Robbie Anderson and Jameson Crowder. And he looked really, really great. And I mean, I heard a report that the Jets coaching staff was not going to put their playbook and not put out film on what they like to do until Darnold comes back because they really don't want to waste, you know, film and other, you know, exposing their offense to people when they're losing and they don't have their starting quarterback. So it really kind of showed the potential of the New York Jets uh, this past weekend, you know, with Darnold back in the lineup. Well, Darnold certainly looked good in that game. Now, the, on the other hand, with the Cowboys, they're spiraling right now. I mean, they've lost three straight, and that puts them in a dead-even tie with the Eagles right now, 3-3 three and three atop the division. It's worth noting that the Giants and even the Redskins are not out of this thing right now. The Giants are only one game behind, and Washington is still only two games behind, even though they sit at 1-5. and five. That's how lowly this NFC East is hanging right now, and it's funny that it's like this because I actually predicted it to be that way in my predictions this preseason. I said that the division winner would be the Eagles at 9-7, and seven, and that's looking like it might be true right now. You know, those two teams, the Giants and the Redskins, still might make a comeback on the season. I would love to see that. And this division just got a whole lot more interesting after this past week. I mean, I definitely think that the Redskins don't have a chance. I mean, you you need you need a quarterback in of order course, to compete and, and win a division. And I just don't see any of those quarterbacks that they have in Washington doing that. I mean, the Giants, I mean, their defense is just absolutely terrible. Everybody can put up a great game against them. And, it, and that's what I thought with Kirk Cousins last week when he threw all over the Giants. I was like, oh, well, he was just playing the Giants. Maybe that's that. But then he does the same thing against the Eagles. So, you know, maybe maybe things are changing a little bit there in Minnesota. But I really think it is going to come down to the Cowboys and the Eagles when it comes down to the end of the season because they have they have two good quarterbacks. They have two good organizations. And, I mean, with the talent that both teams have, I think it's going to come down to those two teams. Now, the big game is next week, Casey. Who are you taking in that game? I got to go with the Eagles, man. I just I don't like the Cowboys in these clutch games. Just the past two seasons, they haven't really shown up in clutch games when they needed to. You know, they played my Rams last year, 
in the uh, divisional round, and that game did not go in their favor. Obviously, the Rams ran all over them, and it just seems since they went 13-3 and in Dak and Zeke's rookie year, they haven't been the same team in those big-time games. I'm, I'm just going to take the Eagles personally in this game, even though they're heading to Dallas in this one, because I think Carson Wentz makes bigger plays than Dak Prescott in those big games. And see, as much as I want to agree with you here with Carson Wentz and company, I love Carson Wentz, and I really want the Eagles to get this win because you know how much I hate the Dallas Cowboys. But I'm taking the Dallas Cowboys because, number one, I think that their secondary is better than Philadelphia. They have a better running game with Ezekiel Elliott than Philadelphia. And, I mean, when it comes to looking at Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott, yeah, I can be an argument this year about who's been better. I think Carson Wentz is the better overall quarterback, but I mean, they're putting up similar numbers. So when you look at the intangibles of this game, I really give the edge to Dallas, especially with them being at home uh, to them because, I mean, they're 0-3. I mean, it's starting to become panic time there in the Big D, and I think that Jason Garrett is going to coach his butt off this week because he knows that if he keeps continuing this losing streak, he's going to be on the hot seat. So I think this is time for a big Dallas win, and especially with these intangibles until Philadelphia can show me some Something different with that secondary and get that running game going with Jordan Howard. I give the edge to Dallas this week. You mentioned that running game of Dallas. Ezekiel Elliott is obviously a lot more effective than the two-back tandem of Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders and how that's been this year for the Eagles. Now let's get to another team that is struggling to run the ball. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs dropped their second straight loss this past Sunday to the Houston Texans. And in that game, they ran for 53 yards total. I don't think anybody expected this early in the season for the Chiefs to drop two straight. Where do they go from here? I mean, like you said, Casey, what they need to do, and it has to do with the running game on both sides of the ball. They really need to establish that running game. When they had Kareem Hunt last year before he got released, they were running the ball great. They had a great balanced offense. This offense is looking super one-dimensional nowadays. And when you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you can't put everything on one guy to make this offense flow, especially since Tyreek Hill has been out. Travis Kelsey has not been putting up the amazing numbers that we are accustomed to seeing, and they need to start getting that run game uh, going. And then on the other side of the ball, when you're losing games the way they're losing games, the only reason they're losing these games is because the opposing team is running all over them. They are controlling the time of possession. The Houston Texans got 40 minutes compared to their 20 in time of possession in this game. And when you were limiting the touches of an MVP caliber quarterback such as Patrick Mahomes, this is the outcome you're going to get. The Colts put it on display the week prior. The Texans followed suit. The way to beat this team is to run the ball on them and control the pace of the game. You mentioned a little bit that this offense has been one-dimensional. And let's let's look at this here for a minute. Teams like the Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Rams have struggled on offense so far this year. And we know those two teams have high-powered offenses. We saw that in that Monday night shootout in L.A. last year that I mean, finished 54-51. I mean, we saw it all last year. They were the, Both of them were yeah. number one and number two offenses in the entire league. Yeah, so I mean, the question has to be asked here. Are these two offensive teams and these offensive minds that call the plays, are they overthinking themselves a little bit? You know, I definitely think Sean McVay's overthinking it. I mean, he proved that his offense can be one of the top offenses in the league, and I know the Chiefs can. Patrick Mahomes hasn't looked bad this year, but that offense just doesn't look right. 
like I said, with the Rams offense, going back to that, you got to get Todd Gurley in the mix. It, the same thing goes with the Kansas City Chiefs. You got to get LaShawn McCoy. You got to get Williams in there. You got to get them the ball because then that sets up the play action. And then you get those big bombs downfield, just like with Jared Goff. You know, he hits those deep balls down to Woods and Cooks. I mean, same thing with Mahomes, with Tyreek Hill. Like, you got to you got to run the ball to set up the play action. You got to have a multifaceted offense in this league or defenses are going to start to figure you out. Let's get into this Kansas City defense a little bit because this is something that the league or should I say Kansas City has been, you know, concerned about since last year. We knew that they gave up a lot of points last year and that would come back and bite them in the butt towards the end of the year, but this year it's really been a problem. In the last two games, we can see that this Kansas City defense is clearly the reason they have lost the game. It was the rushing defense last week. This weekend, it was the passing offense. Now, not only that, but the Chiefs are having no kind of pass rush success. They had zero sacks on Deshaun Watson in that game. You simply just can't have zero sacks on a quarterback that dangerous like Deshaun Watson. And I mentioned that earlier. I was like, the way for Houston to get success is for that offensive line to step up and protect him. This is the second game in a row that they have not let up a sack. And, I mean, you saw what they did last week to the Atlanta Falcons putting up 53 points. And Deshaun Watson looked like one of the best quarterbacks that I've ever seen in a game putting up 53 points like that. And then you you go into Kansas City, no sacks for Kansas City, and Deshaun Watson just lit them up. Like I said, I know the stat book won't say this, but Deshaun Watson outplayed Patrick Mahomes in that game. Yes, Deshaun Watson threw two picks, but I mean, Will Fuller also dropped two touchdown passes in that game. Could have elevated those stats a little bit more. And then also the way he ran the ball. He ran the ball 10 times for 42 yards and two touchdowns, Deshaun Watson did. And I mean, when you got a guy that's a multi-threat like that and you got a high-powered offense like that, I mean, if they're blocking for him, then this Houston Texans team is going to be really scary. Let's get into Houston a little bit. They definitely capitalized on their opportunities in that Kansas City game on Sunday. They went four of six in the red zone. Love that conversion percentage right there. 472 total yards. Like I said, that's a great showing from the Houston offense. But let's get into this huge AFC South matchup a little bit right here. The Colts will host the Texans next Sunday. That's going to be a big game. That's going to be four deciding factors for the lead right now in the AFC South. Who do you got in that game? I give the edge to Houston right now because of the way that they've been playing the past two weeks. If they can protect uh, Deshaun Watson again, then I easily see them taking this game by about a touchdown or maybe a little bit more than that. But, I mean, if Indianapolis can get pressure on Deshaun Watson and that secondary in Houston isn't playing as well, then I definitely think the Colts have an opportunity. But if you're going to tell me who has the edge and who I think is going to win, I definitely think that the Houston Texans are going to win uh, based off what I've seen so far. I'm not going to get into my pick on that game yet because it might just appear in my wages a little bit later, but it is worth noting in this Texans offense that Carlos Hyde ran for over 100 yards this past Sunday. Great game for him. We know that Colts offense can run the ball as they did on the Chiefs two weeks ago, but now we're going to get into our favorite segments of the podcast. That's going to be our riddle rankings and our Warner wages. We'll get into those next. You know it's that time. It is our favorite time of the show where we start getting into our Riddles, Rankings, and Warner's Wages. I'm going to kick it off here with my 
top 10 NFL teams in Riddle's rankings. Coming in at number 10, I got the Carolina Panthers. Yes, Carolina Panthers without Cam Newton are in the Riddle's rankings. They are now 4-0 with Kyle Allen as a starter after starting 0-2 with Cam Newton. Rivera's defense is looking much better than it did the first two weeks of the season, and that man, Christian McCaffrey, is easily looking like the best running back in the league and an MVP candidate right now. He's looking absolutely great. Number 9, I still got the Buffalo Bills at the latter end of the Riddles rankings because they still have not played anybody outside of New England. Yes, they played New England pretty well, but obviously that offense has been struggling. But I want to see this team go up against a high-powered offense and see if they can compete with a team like that. I still haven't seen that yet, but that defense is still super elite, so I have them coming in at number nine. Coming in at number eight, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. They started off 4-0 this season, but they are now 0-2 coming in in the last two weeks, losing to the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans and it's been the same thing we talked about it in the last segment this Kansas City Chiefs number one is not running the ball and number two they are not defending the ball they are limiting the touches with Patrick Mahomes and this offense is looking very very one-dimensional so until then they are going to be on the latter end of the riddle rankings not dead on the Chiefs they can still bump back up but right now they are at number eight number seven making their riddle rankings debut is the Minnesota Vikings God, since being called out by Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins has been lighting it up for the past two games here. His seasonal average for passing yards in the first four games of the season was 183 yards, and since he got called out by Adam Thielen, it has now bumped up to 320 yards per game. This offense is super balanced with Dalvin Cook in the backfield, and this defense we all know is full of playmakers on every single aspect of that defense. If they keep playing like this, this Minnesota team can easily bump up in the Riddle rankings. They are looking really good right now. Coming in at number six, the Houston Texans are now starting to move their way up, starting to climb the ladder. They started off in an inconsistent 2-2, having some good wins, some good losses. We didn't really know their identity or what they were going to be, but now they have really shown themselves. They are now sitting at 4-2. That offensive line, I said it needed work. It has gone two games now without letting Deshaun Watson get sacked, and it lit up the Atlanta Falcons, putting up 53 points on them, and then going into Kansas City in Arrowhead State. Obviously a tough place to play and getting the dub. Coming in at number five, we got the Seattle Seahawks. I think the Seattle Seahawks stayed put this week. Russell Wilson does it again as he leads his team coming back from behind against the Cleveland Browns. He has yet to throw an interception this season, which is absolutely crazy. This defense, although it isn't talented and they do let up a lot of points, they do what they need to do to win the game. And that is all that matters right now because they are getting the job done. Yeah, they had three interceptions against Baker Mayfield, but heck, what defense can't get three interceptions on Baker Mayfield this season uh they are coming in at number five coming in at number four the green bay packers moved back one spot they struggled against the lions on monday night football but they still held matthew stafford and company in check a bit you know a lot of red zone trips for that Lions team, but that defense still held up tight. Aaron Rodgers is really, really missing Devontae Adams, and when he gets back, I think that this offense is going to start moving and grooving a little bit more. Uh, coming in at number three, they keep moving up the ladder the last two weeks. I am finally taking them serious. It is the San Francisco 49ers. This defensive line, I said it earlier, it probably is the best defensive line in the league with D. Ford and Nick Bosa and company. They have really good corners, and they have proven to be well-coached team uh, with a very consistent quarterback in Garoppolo and an excellent running game with Burita and Coleman. They they play smash mouth football and they're winning the time of possession 
every single week. And when you keep doing that, you are going to win a ton of games. And then at number two, we got the, we still got the same top two. We got the New Orleans Saints. Teddy Bridgewater is just getting it done. You know, whether it's lighting it up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Seattle Seahawks or whether he's playing a low-scoring grinder game like he did against the Cowboys and Jaguars, he's playing absolutely great. Now, I mean, they're 4-0 since he's been the starter, and they got big playmakers on defense. We have talked about that for the last couple weeks. Obviously, on offense, they have the same. They have a great offensive line. They got great weapons in Kamara, Michael Thomas, especially when this team gets Drew Brees back, and if he's 100%, I would have this team at number one because this team is probably the most well-balanced team in the entire NFL. And then coming in at number one, they've been number one on the Riddles rankings every single week. And it is still the undefeated New England Patriots. You know, they had a little bit of a close game against the New York Giants this past Thursday, but really they opened it up in the fourth quarter, beating them 35-14. to You know, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for those New England Patriots to get that test, you know, starting in November when they start playing teams like the Ravens, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Cowboys, when they start playing these upper-level teams. But they got a pretty solid game this week on Monday Night Football against Sam Darnold and that New York Jets team that looks pretty solid against the Dallas Cowboys, but we will see where that comes. And that is your top 10, and that is your riddle rankings for this week. Let's get into the Warner wages a little bit now. Love this part of the podcast. Now it is worth noting that after going 4-0 two weeks ago, I went back to earth a little bit, and I went 2-2 this past week, but I still am 8-4 overall on the season. So if you are betting people out there, you still might want to listen to me a little bit. 8-4 is not too bad. I'm actually thinking about Maybe putting some money on some of these games myself because I'm not too bad at it. But let's get started. We got Kansas City going to Denver with our first game. And Kansas City is favored by three. Give me that spread all day. I think Kansas City is going to beat the crap out of Denver. Denver looked pretty good against Tennessee this week. But what team hasn't looked pretty good against Tennessee? They won 16 to nothing in convincing fashion in that one. But I still think Kansas City is angry. They've lost two straight. And they're going to put it on the Denver Broncos. So give me Kansas City plus three in that one. Next game, we got Minnesota heading to Detroit. And Minnesota is favored by one in that game. I am actually going to take Detroit in this one. I think Detroit will not only cover, but they will beat the Minnesota Vikings in this one at home. I liked what I saw from Detroit in that Monday night football game. You know, maybe got some bad calls in that one. Offense still looked pretty good. And I think they're going to come out on top of Minnesota this week. Minnesota, I think, is going to go into a little bit of a hangover after that impressive win against the Eagles. I don't think they have what it takes to compete at Ford Field against those lines that have looked pretty good so far this year. Next game, we got New Orleans heading to Chicago. Chicago is favored by three in that one. Nonsense. I got New Orleans in that one. I don't care how tough it is to play at Soldier Field. New Orleans has looked great over the last three weeks. Give me Teddy Touchdown in New Orleans in that one. I picked New Orleans to beat the Bears in that one. Not only cover the spread, I think they're going to dominate them and that porous offense that has seen no kind of success this year for Chicago. New Orleans, I think, comes out on top of that one. And then for our final game, this is probably going to be the toughest spread to pick. Maybe one of the games of the week. Houston is heading to Indianapolis in an AFC South clash that will be for divisional bragging rights. And I got Houston coming out on top of that one taking that spread against Indianapolis. Houston, I think, will not only look good again this weekend, but they will look very good against the Indianapolis Colts. Don't think Jacoby Brissett and those guys have anything for Deshaun Watson and that high-powered offense that showed out against the Chiefs. 
And that is your Warner Wages for this week. So now this is the Joes on the Pros podcast. And through our podcast, we have only gotten into professional football. But coming up next week, we are now starting to get into professional basketball. And we are going to start covering the NBA. So here with us right now is our roommate, Jack, who we had on our first episode of the Joes and Pros podcast because he is a huge NBA fan. So, Jack, how does it feel to be back on the Joes and the Pros podcast? Oh, it feels great. You know, you guys are doing a great job. Love listening every week. Uh, it's a lot of fun. All right, Jack. So our big question is the season is starting next week. So what are your big NBA headlines that you're looking forward to watching this season play out? So there's a lot of things that are going on this NBA season that I'm really looking forward to. But um, I would probably say one of my first things that I'm really excited about is how even the playing field is now in the NBA, you know? Oh, definitely. The, the Warriors have broken up. LeBron is with AD, you know, there's a whole bunch of duos all over the league. I think it's really anybody's league, I, but it comes down to the West for sure still. And I, I can't wait to see who's going to be the king of LA. I definitely think that the West is a lot deeper than the East is, but when you look at the spread of the league entirely, there's probably about eight different teams that can compete for the championship this year. And this isn't something that we've seen since probably maybe before LeBron left for Miami. Like I don't think we've ever really seen uh, the league like this since then where we just about any team could probably make it to the championship. What else do you see on this NBA season other than the balance uh, that Kawhi Leonard essentially created. You know, comeback stories are a lot of fun to keep track of in the NBA. And being a Sixers fan, I really can't wait to see how Markel Fultz does this season with the Orlando Magic. You know, he's going to have a full season under his belt, come back healthy. The Magic don't really have a whole lot of expectations. Granted, they did make the playoffs last year, but they have a whole lot of uh, forwards and small forwards and all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's a huge blockage down in the middle. But I can't wait to see how Markel Fultz can hopefully get in there and see and mix it up a little bit, hopefully get some more guys involved and really just add an extra dynamic to the uh, to the Orlando Magic. Definitely. No, Markel Fultz was obviously a huge prospect coming out of Washington a couple of years ago in the 2017 draft. He was a number one overall pick. Didn't really pan out for your 76ers, but we got to you know stay tuned and see what happens down there in Orlando. So, Jack, you are a huge 76ers fan, so I got to ask you, do you think the 76ers are going to win the East this year? And if so, who are they going to play in the championship if they make it? So, yes, I do think that the Sixers are going to make it to the NBA uh, Finals this year. Obviously, their biggest competition in the East, I think it's going to be the Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo coming off that MVP season. And then I really think that the Indiana Pacers are going to be pretty good, too. The you Indiana know? Pacers, really? Yeah, I think Victor Oladipo, depending on how he looks when he comes back from his injury, they're very deep. You know, they have two of the best big men in the league, two of the best young big men at that, too. So I can't really see, or I'm very excited to see what they can do. Yeah, uh, I mean, before yeah, before uh, Oladipo got injured and had to miss the remaining of the season last year, he was putting up some great numbers. And I mean, he is obviously in contention for a comeback player of the year this upcoming season. And the Indiana Pacers are a very well-coached team, a very young team, and they are pretty deep as well. And with Kawhi Leonard leaving uh, the East, the East is opening wide up for a team like the Indiana Pacers to spark up. So we just got to see what happens. But if I'm going to make my preseason predictions. I'm going to have to agree with you on the Philadelphia 76ers, man. They are super deep. They're super long. I think Ben Simmons is getting better and better every year. Joel Embiid, in my opinion, is easily, uh, if not the best center in the league, he is easily top three. And then you got a guy like Al Horford. 
that which is going to be Joel Embiid's kryptonite uh, when he played for the Boston Celtics, now joining the 76ers and getting that out of the way. And then when you look at the Bucks losing some of their depth that they had, uh, I definitely think that that is going to be a wide-open thing for the Sixers. And in the West, when you talk about the Battle of L.A., I easily think that the Los Angeles Clippers, not the Lakers and LeBron, I think the Clippers are going to be the best team in the league this year with how great they are defensively. I mean, you got three of the best defenders in the NBA with Pat Patrick Beverly as probably one of the best defensive guards in the league. And then you got two of the best defensive forwards in the league in Kawhi and Paul George. The depth that they have, Montrez Harrell. I mean, I think that they are going to be representing the West in the finals. So a Sixers and Clippers final, you can book it right now. That is what I'm saying is going to be the finals this upcoming season. But we're going to get more into the NBA as the season starts. We're going to keep continuing to cover the NFL. This is the Joes on the Pros podcast. Keep sticking with us every single Thursday. We drop our episodes Follow us on Twitter at Joe's on the pros and get all of your professional sports updates here with us. Hey.